It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good with me. Carmen Herbert, exclusive podcast to our Turtle House. I'm so excited to have on our show today, artist Jay Kirk Richards. Funny story, I accidentally sent him a GIF a few weeks ago. I don't even know what it was, Kirk. Can you remember like a, a, random, a, a, random, a random guy like doing a thumbs up or something? I can't remember. It was something really weird that I accidentally, I was looking at his Instagram profile and I sent him a really weird gif. And then I was so embarrassed, but you responded. You like liked it. You're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I love random gifs. (laughs) Well, it was definitely random. And because of that, I was like, hey, now that I've got you responding to me, would you like to come on a podcast? And you were so nice. And you said, yes, even though you, we don't know each other and you've never met me. Although Kirk just told me a story about how my father-in-law, Governor Herbert, gave him a ride home one day a long time ago. So we're sort of connected a little bit. You know someone in my family. That's right. <laughs> so Kirk is a favorite among admirers of contemporary spiritual artwork. You have the most beautiful paintings. In fact, I have your... Every knee shall bow picture on my little temple recommend holder. Oh, cool. That I got at Desert Book is one of my very favorite paintings of all time. Um, Kirk's love of the textural, the poetic, and the mysterious has translated into a unique take on traditional Judeo Christian themes. So, you attribute most of your love for the arts to an early emphasis on musical training in your parents' home. What did you play? What musical instruments did you play? I played the piano and the French horn. Oh, the French horn. Which yeah. did you like better? Um, I I, th- I think I definitely stood out among horn players because the competition is a lot less fierce. I bet. Uh, I, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's probably been years since I pulled out my French horn, but I, I play the piano every day. Well, not every day, but on a regular basis still. So you can keep that talent. That's great. So... Um, And then you turned from music to visual arts and you've studied with so many incredible painters among them, Bruce Hickson Smith, James Christensen, Clayton Williams, Joel Olstrap. And I don't know how to pronounce this one. Wolf Barask. Is that right? Wolf Barsh. Barsh. Wolf Barsh. Barask sounds more more foreign. (laughs) Wolf Barsh. (laughs) Jennifer Barton. Um, I mean, so many amazing artists. And then you also studied two years in Rome. Was that right? Well, I served a mission in Rome. I didn't do a lot of artwork while I was there other than seeing a lot of it, experiencing a lot of it, you know, especially on P-Days, we'd go to the Vatican Museum and we'd look for Caravaggio paintings in the different churches and things in Rome. So definitely, you know, it wasn't dedicated study, but it certainly opened my brain. That is amazing. And especially because you were serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm assuming, right? Um, you, You were able to kind of probably see the artwork in a different way as well. Um, then 
than most people. Yeah, maybe like than a typical tourist because you were, you know, your life was dedicated to Christ for two years. And, and did that influence the way that you saw how other artists had depicted Christ or, or Mary or the apostles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the artwork was its own spiritual experience for sure. I would love to go to Italy someday when the world opens up again and be I, able to I get the chance. It's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, it changed my life for sure. Well, and um, it says here in your bio that a lot of the colors, um, you know, with European artists and it, it, it consists of like the subdued browns and rusts and that influenced a lot of your artwork and, and how you, you know, how you paint your style. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all of those umbers and siennas and things that, oh man, I just love those browns. I and like the old world style. And a lot of your paintings have like the really pretty, like the vignettes, like with the every knee shall bow where it kind of fades. And then Christ is, you know, the center and it's lighter. And, but, but it's, they're rich, beautiful colors, but they're not bright, vivid, like hurt your eyes. It's you, you have a beautiful way of blending them. So it's, it's rich and vibrant, but it's, it's subdued almost like I, I think of it as like afternoon light or light evening light. Like there's a feeling that you, like I can feel the time of day that you're painting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. And it's gorgeous. So um, you have some amazing work um, at the BYU Museum of Art, the, the exhibit Beholding Salvation, the Life of Christ and Word and Image. You you contributed to that. And you also have an incredible painting, Christ Among the Lepers, which is in the church, um, the church office building in Salt Lake City. Is that right? And it's huge. Right. Yeah, it is in the, you, anybody can walk into the church office building and see that. It's on the main floor. Um, in the, you know, there's kind of two foyers, an Eastern foyer and a Western foyer. And it's in the Western foyer, foyer on the North wall. So if you're, if you get a chance, you're walking along the street in front of the church office building in Salt Lake city, just pop in there and take a look. I want to do that. And you hung the painting in a really unique way too. Like you came up with your own hanging system. Is that right? To hang the painting. Yeah, I did. I, you know, those big paintings, I, I was getting frustrated because a lot of times when you have like a, a wire on pulling on the two ends of the painting, if it's that big, it'll create tension that pulls the canvas into a kind of a warp. It pulls it out of its taut state. So I just created this kind of cleat thing that would more evenly distribute the pressures you know, the weight of the painting, because they can get pretty heavy when they're that big. Oh, I bet. And you can kind of, and you can go to your website, jkirkrichards.com and, and kind of see that as well as your Instagram page. You have a post about with pictures of how you hung that. It's really awesome. Um, so you've done all sorts of exhibits and, and, and exhibitions, and you've won so many honors and awards. I encourage everyone to go to jkirkrichards and, and read about all your accolades. Um, but I'm sure your greatest accomplishment is you have an incredible wife, Amy, and four creative children and split your time between Woodland Hills and the studio in Redmond, Utah. So Kirk, let's just jump right in. I want to know besides 
your two-year mission in Rome, what inspired you to begin painting? When was the first time that you had, you know, the brush in hand and you were like, oh, this is something that I want to do and discovered you had a talent for it? I mean, I've always loved creating images, like from when I was in, you know, I, I remember participating in the uh, reflections competition in second grade, you know, making a picture and submitting it to the school competition. And then all through elementary school, I would make artwork through junior high. I think when I was in junior high is when my mom realized that maybe I had uh, slightly above average talent or, you know, a, a, an aptitude for this. Um, I started taking art classes in high school and I actually begged my parents to let me trade in my music lessons for art lessons at about the age of 14. Oh, wow. So, um, so I, I've loved it all, all along, you know, ever since I was young, I didn't commit to it as a profession until I was a freshman in college. And I took a figure drawing class at BYU from professor Hagen Haltern. And that was the moment that I decided to commit to studying it, you know, choosing an art major and pursuing an art career. In at BYU. So was that was that an easy decision? Were you like, okay, this is this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do? Were you nervous at all? Like with with anything, I'm in the entertainment industry and it's sometimes I have gigs, sometimes I don't, sometimes the things I do sell, sometimes they don't. And so was it nerve wracking thinking, oh, this is this is something that it'll be kind of like, you know, waxing and waning throughout my life, selling artwork. Yes. Um, I, you know, that I remembered that day, that day stands out so vividly in my mind when I came home from the figure drawing class, talked to my parents about, you know, I just think I, I just love making art. I think I should pursue this as a major. My dad said something about how I, he encouraged me to study my, what I, study my passion, but also get good at business so that maybe I could do art as an avocation. But Got it. the way that, but I kind of like twisted that in my consciousness and decided that what I would do is get good at the business of art so that it would become my vocation instead. I remember kneeling down and praying about it, and actually making a promise that if I, um, if God would help me figure out how to do this, then I would help others as well that came after me. So from that moment, you know, standing up from that prayer, um, I was committed. And th that's, I've been committed ever since, which doesn't mean that there haven't been moments of like panic, like what am I doing? Or, you know, times that were very difficult to get through. Um, but, um, but I also had a lot of good examples. You know, I, I went and talked to artists in their studio that had done very well throughout their career. And I noticed that there were a number of artists that, um, were doing as well as their, as their, they were able to provide for their family as well as the, 
dentists that live next door or whatever. So right. I just decided, you know, maybe if they can do it, I can do it. I love that you talked about kneeling in prayer and asking Heavenly Father to help you and and making a commitment to him. And then if you you've obviously kept that commitment and he's helped you and you have been able to bless so many people's lives through your beautiful artwork, mine included. Um, it's interesting. I had a similar experience years ago, so many years ago when I was 17, I'm 35 now. So when I was trying out for American Idol and I, I had been cut the first time and I was so devastated. And three months later, the show has already been airing. I got a phone call to come back and try out for the wild card show. And I remember doing the same thing, kneeling beside my parents' bed as a teenager and saying probably one of the most heartfelt prayers I've ever said in my life. And I was like, if I can just make the show this time, (laughs) if I can just make this, this is what I want to do. And what I felt like one of my talents was, was singing and, and, and entertaining. And, and in my mind, um, I wanted to do it to make money and make music and, you know, of course be famous and all the things that a teenager would want. But I also wanted to be a good example. And, and I, I made a commitment then that I would never compromise my values, no matter what situation I was in. And there were so many opportunities to compromise my values, to, to do anything I wanted, anything. I mean, I was on tour away from my parents for, you know, three months and we had anything you can imagine. Basically, I, I, I tell people like, if you read the, for the strength of youth of everything not to do, that's everything that was offered to us during that time. But because I had made a commitment beforehand that I wasn't going to do that and that I would stay true to who I was, it was almost easy to say no to everything because I, I had already committed. But then as I've gotten older and, and I have a family of my own now, I've realized that my, um, my purpose or, or, or my mission or my, what heavenly father has planned out for me was very different than what my 17 year old mind thought. And that commitment to him was the strongest thing that I would stay close to him. And then because of that, now I, I've, I've done a lot for you know, the church and Deseret book. And, 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 um, I teach voice to just like one student and, and just changing one little person's life and helping them have confidence. And I'm not, you know, famous and making millions, but it's so much more fulfilling because I've, I kept that commitment. And then heavenly father said, well, then let me take your talents and your abilities and I'll make them something even better than you can imagine. Have you felt like heavenly father's done the same thing for you that he's taken your talent and abilities and just expanded them yeah absolutely you know i think uh in the beginning you just kind of imagine what could be and and you never know um i mean you, you can't know the details and sometimes those details are surprising as things unfold and it's surprising what can happen in 10 years, 20 years. Um, so I just, yeah, I, we feel really blessed that opportunities have come, that we've been able to make a, a, a go of it. And 
in some ways we're in a place that we couldn't have imagined 20 years ago and um yeah what it's it's definitely i think there are times when you think uh you need to to do something in particular it doesn't happen yeah and those are moments that i think that god is really you know knows what's best and makes the be- the better thing happen for you so that is awesome he he makes the better thing happen i love that and it is cuz so many times you think but i was inspired to do this i thought i thought this was the path and it might it might be but he's going to make the better thing happen i love that thought so where where does your inspiration come from when when you think of what to create next what to paint next do you think of a scripture story in your mind is it personal spiritual experiences you've had with stories about the savior how are you inspired to create your art yeah it's all of those things i think uh, a lot of times that just the poetry of a scriptural phrase might be the beginning of a a work of art it might be um it might even be current events or the way that i'm processing things that are happening in my life and maybe how my understanding or the things that i've been taught in the gospel rub up against those things and make me uh reconsider them in new ways um so you know inspiration comes from everywhere from family life from uh the written text from um nature from current events all of those things feed into new ideas and a lot of times they are they build on each other so you know you create something but there are so many choices that you make in the process of creating that thing you want to try to you know you have to choose one path but there's another path that you might have chosen in the creation of this piece and so a lot of times it's that it's the meeting of i i i want to try it this way next time and this is an, an this idea might go with that approach so yeah inspiration comes from past work it comes from all those other things that i've mentioned awesome now for those of us who who don't paint or who are not artists walk us through the process of actually doing a painting do you do a small scale version first do you sketch it first do you just put paint to canvas and say okay i'm going for it do you take a picture of things what's your process of creating yeah i think probably a lot of artists develop a more consistent process than i have i like to approach it in all those ways so sometimes okay. i like to just jump in on a full scale canvas and um throw paint around until it starts to make sense other times i'm much more process oriented where i will begin with a sketch of the concept i i might scan that sketch import it into photoshop and lay in some color play around with that and then we might even take that color color sketch and create a physical color sketch with paint oh cool and then we might enlarge that to the full scale canvas and start blocking that in and 
and then have models or you know come in and shoot some photo reference or my, i might paint from the live model to capture details insert details into that big block in so um i feel like having approached it in different ways you know from just like the spontaneous the very just jumping into this really planned out thing um they kind of have taught me they've kind of those processes have kind of informed each other yeah so that when i do something more process oriented i can still approach it with some spontaneity when spontaneity is required and right. something that's just super spontaneous if i need to i i have the tools to be more um measured in how i add details or finish off a piece like that as well if that makes sense yes as much as it can <laughs> to someone like me who doesn't know anything so can you so you can match paint you can like put in different colors in your computer and then you can like take it somewhere and say, okay, can you match this? And, or how does that work? Um, we, we just mix it as close as we can with our eyes. I have a studio assistants that usually block things in for me and they just have experience mixing paint and it's never exactly the same, um, which I, I think adds depth to the painting when you can see in fact, sometimes I will begin a painting with acrylic paints, which have different pigments than the oil paints that I finish them with. But, but oh. we leave some of that acrylic underpainting coming through. And, and that the fact that we can't mix the exact same colors adds a lot of depth and, you know, kind of vibration to the painting surface, which I think is beautiful. It, it it really is beautiful. And, and, and I love how you can see like the brush strokes and the texture and it's, it's very, it's like, it's like a modern take on old world style. I, I kind of think like it, you can definitely see like the European influence and the old world style. And yet it's, it's modern and you'll throw in a lot of sometimes more modern colors or, but it's, it's not like typical, it's not your typical artwork. Like it, it seems like it has been around for much longer than it, than it has been. It's ageless. Thank you. Um, I love your depictions of Christ. Um, you can't always make out his exact features. Um, I'm looking at some paintings right now on your Instagram page of one with his crown of thorns and one with the halo behind his head and one with him, um, you know, blessing, um, women and the lepers and, and you can, you can, it's very soft. So tell me about your decision to, was that intentional to let others interpret how they would imagine Christ to look, or is it because you're not sure how you would imagine he looks or what was, what was that choice like to make Christ not completely, you know, see every feature and every facial expression? Yeah, I think both of those motives played into it. So I've done lots of, for me, it's always been a search. Like I'm trying new things to to capture the symbol of Jesus. And um, some of them have been quite detailed and 
unsuccessful, you know, some, some have been more successful than others, but, um, I remember many years ago, as I was trying to do these kind of more finished paintings of Christ, there was always this stage in the middle of the process before there was detail. And there was kind of this magic about, about that stage when it was flat colors and, uh, and it just read more as a symbol, like this is, you know who this is supposed to be, but it's not saying this is what he looked like or, you know, right. like imposing details that are, that I don't know about onto the image. And so at that point I thought, well, what if I just do a show of small pieces? It won't be, you know, maybe that won't be so risky to, to, to try to do several small pieces that show Christ or wh wh where I finished them without those details that kind of capture that that essence that i was losing as i pushed beyond that point into more detail more detailed realm and so that's that's kind of the beginning of a long series of paintings that i've done since where they are very it's a it's a very broad symbol it just says you know these flat shapes and colors represent Christ, but they are not anything more than a symbol. Yeah. And, and people can then bring their own experience to it. People can, uh, I, I kind of think of it as like that old movie, um, somewhere in time, you know, I don't know. Have you seen that one? And uh, no, I've heard of, I haven't seen uh, it. Okay, well, there's this scene. The, the guy convinces himself that he's going back in time, and then it actually transports him. But he has this coin in his pocket from the time that he comes from. He pulls it out near the end. This is a spoiler for anybody that hasn't seen it. And he <laughs> out of the past back into the present. And so he, you know, and he can't get back to his true love in the past. So it's that distraction. The details for me are that coin from the present that distract from um, that artistic statement or that, uh, that symbol. And so when I eliminate that detail, I don't get sucked back into the world that we live in now. I, I can remain in that world of Jesus, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yes, it, it does. And, and I, it, it must be a really spiritual experience for you creating these pieces. And, and would you say that um, that is maybe a way that you hear him is through creating him through your artwork? I definitely would say that creating artwork is in many ways a prayer for me. Like I think many arts are kind of an expression or a plea for grace um, and a meditation on what it means to uh, to think about one's own spirit. And since I paint Jesus so much, I think a lot about who he was and is and what he represents and, you know, how I relate to that, my own yeah. maybe failings in that, in that, 
respect. But being able to just meditate on that is both a prayer for me and meditation. It makes me um, consider the world in new ways, I think. Yeah. And, and that's not always like easy. It's not always like the spirit isn't always saying everything's awesome and you're always awesome. A lot of times it's saying there are, is a lot of pain in the world. There's pain that you can face. There's there are things that you can do to improve. So yeah, I mean, so I don't want to give just the wrong impression that like painting Jesus is, is uh, like sitting in the chapel at the temple or something, you know, that yeah. it, um, but, but maybe it is similar in, in, in the meditative aspect of it, the prayer aspect of it. But it's beautiful that he experienced all those emotions, the pain and sadness. Um, he took on the sorrows of the world. So it would make sense when you're painting him that it wouldn't just be all happiness and perfect, but it's, you're going through, you're depicting him with all of those emotions that he felt too. And, and, and that he felt for us. That's right. So. I I'm drawn to a lot. I, I continually come back to themes of like healing. Yes. Ministering, you know, um, I think th th themes that center around charity and yes. how we can act as Jesus act or be recipients of acts like those that Jesus did, but just that, uh, that community aspect of altruism and giving of oneself. Those are themes that resonate with me that I continue to come back to. I love that. And especially now I, I love that we can be that for other people. And he was the best example of being charitable and serving. And the biggest thing right now, I think is hope is no matter what we are going through, however, we each need to be healed individually. There's always hope through Christ. He can heal us. He can make things better. And, and he does know what we're going through. He knows our sorrows and our deepest regrets and our pains and our misery and, and devastations and joys and, and excitements and thrills. He knows everything and he can help us and heal us. And it's really your, your testimony that you're sharing through your artwork. And it's, it's beautiful. So where, where can people go to find your artwork, to see it, to purchase it, to support you? What can, where can people go? That's a, a great question. And I just did a post about that today on Instagram. I saw that on Instagram. Yep, um, I did. So tell us about that. I have a show right now at Writ and Vision in Provo, and, and it's specifically about a section of the Book of Mormon. Um, it's about the period from, you know, King Noah, Abinadi preaching to King Noah, Alma hearing the word, and then Alma going and establishing a church at the Waters of Mormon. So that is one place that you can see my art currently. Awesome. Uh, probably the best place to see a large group of work is at my yearly 
studio tour open house, which will hopefully happen, fingers crossed, in May. Okay. Um, and then in the meantime, just, you know, check, uh, check Instagram. That's where I, I post new projects. And um, a lot of people have found my work there. In terms of like prints that we offer, we have a, a, a limited number of images that we offer in print. Those can be purchased on my website. Um, okay. Generally speaking, the BYU store carries a certain number of those prints. Awesome. Latter Day Home does a great job of offering beautifully framed versions of a few of those prints. Okay. Um, Desert Book as well. Heirloom Art Co. in Provo, I know, has been selling quite a few of um, our prints online during the pandemic. So maybe check out their website as well. Awesome. Perfect. Um, so uh, thank you so much for talking with me today, Kirk, and sharing a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Um, I, I, I love learning about how people see the world and, and how they are using their talents to bless other people's lives and, and to help other people. And that's really why we're here. And I think that's, that's the greatest thing for me about talents and gifts Heavenly Father has given us is that it's purely to bless other people's lives. The reason why you are an incredible artist is not so you can paint by yourself in your room with no one ever seeing it. It's 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 purely to bless our lives. You it's a talent to give away. And it's the same thing with creating music, is is you create it for others to listen to. And I think that's it just brings us all together and helps us feel a little less alone. And and what better way to do that than with all of your depictions of the Savior and and spiritual, you know, experiences from the Book of Mormon and the Bible. It's just incredible. So my my last question for you today in, in thinking about that is what what do you love the very most about what you do and about the talents that Heavenly Father has given you? What what is your very favorite thing about painting or sculpting or or writing music? Well one of the my very favorite things is just playing around with materials, just having, you know, clay in my hand or seeing how two colors right next to each other on a canvas, like vibrate. It's just, you know, God has given us this amazing world and the materials in it and nature and all of those things. I think I'm still in many ways that like four-year-old kid that just liked to go in the backyard and make stuff with sticks and leaves and have the sun shining on my back. You know, it's like, it's like that in and in of itself is a way of, I think, communing with God and feeling, uh, kind of in, in, at one with his creations. I love that. I I agree. And 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 
tangibly feeling that. Um, I love how you describe the vibrations of paint next to each other. And I think in color. So I think like every day of the week has a color. Every month of the year has a color. Like right now we're in August and it's a light brown gold and we're going into the yellows and ambers of September. And so like I think yearly in terms of color and 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 how I'm like in December, it's like the deep purples and blacks. And I feel like I'm surrounded by that color. Do you do you think the same way? Like when you when you read scriptures, do you see the colors in your mind of what that scripture would be like if it were presented in color? Does that make sense? Do you see that in your mind? Uh, I haven't ever considered that, but I'm definitely going to now. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Like I and when I read books or when I when I see things or 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 like songs or things, I I I feel surrounded by that color. So that'd be interesting if if you did if you were reading the scriptures next time if you could like see those colors in your mind and maybe even it's subconscious that you paint what you feel without you know without realizing it like it just comes out naturally. Yeah, well, I'll I'll text I'll message you after I read a scripture and I determine the color. I would love that. Yeah, that would I, be so interesting. Send me, send me random gifts that I can uh, send you. <laughs> I'll send some more, some more random gifts. We'll end this podcast with a quote that I thought of when you were talking about being a little boy playing outside in the sun and you know holding your sticks and leaves and and painting and it's from President Monson. He said, God left the world unfinished for man to work his skill upon. He left the electricity in the cloud, the oil in the earth. He left the rivers unbridged and the forests unfelled and cities unbuilt. God gives to the man the challenge of raw materials, not the ease of finished things. He leaves pictures unpainted, music unsung, and problems unsolved that man might know the joys and glory of creation. That's yeah. one of my very favorite quotes. That's a beautiful quote. Thank you for coming on Doing Good and for all the good you are doing, Kirk, and for sharing your talents and for using the talents that Heavenly Father has given you to to create beautiful things for us to enjoy. We appreciate it. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, Carmen. Thanks, Kirk. If you want to listen to more Doing Good podcasts or tell your friends and family about them, download the Our Turtle House app. It's a free app. You can listen to other podcasts I've done with amazing people like Kirk, and we hope that you choose to do good in your lives as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. If you'd like to hear more from Carmen and get brand new full-length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers like John By the Way, Meg Johnson, and Hank Smith, you can exclusively inside our Turtle House. And when you join today, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode next week.